Amen. I'm glad he saved an old sinner like me. Take your Bibles and go to Proverbs chapter number 14. Proverbs chapter number 14. If you're at home, you can stand. We're just going to read a single verse, stretch out those legs. And if you're laying in bed right now, get up and stretch out so you don't fall asleep while I'm preaching. And get your water, get your coffee, get your tea, whatever it is there, your ice cream, whatever you're going to do there. And uh, I am I am excited that uh, tonight, tonight will probably be the last uh, live stream only service we're going to have uh, prayerfully, prayerfully for some time as we uh, we will continue. I said Sunday night. I think I said something like we won't have live stream, but that's not what I meant. We're going to continue having live stream. And we'll live stream every single service, uh, but we're going to have in person service as well. Uh, starting this Sunday night, we're going to do that all through the conference, and then every uh, Sunday night, Wednesday night after that. And so we're excited about that. And all God's people said. Amen. I tell you, I love coming to church. I love my family coming to church. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that, those things. And so I'm, I'm excited about that. All right, Proverbs chapter number 14. I, I'm, I'm excited about preaching the message tonight. Proverbs 14 is an awesome proverb. You want to read the whole thing? And there is, it is packed. I'm telling you, it is so packed. I really struggled uh, with with not, not what to preach, but what to preach. I, there was so much to choose from that uh, it was it was hard to narrow it down but i decided actually the lord put in my heart something a little bit different and so uh if you look at proverbs chapter number 14 look at verse 34 and why don't we read it together it's such a powerful verse uh and such a timely verse and it's a verse that never goes out of style i guess you could say it that way and so let's read proverbs chapter number 14 verse 34 ready begin Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Let's read it one more time. I want you to think about the words as we read it together. Ready, begin. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Every day, it seems like the world slips further and further into the darkness of sin. What was once considered an abomination, even in our society, is now widely celebrated. Even places in our own country seem to be becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah. My question for all that's listening tonight, or maybe somebody who listens later, as my country, the place that I live, the city, the state, the region where I live, as it slips further into a sinful state, further away from God, further away from the knowledge of God, what do I do? What do we do? What can we do and what should we do? I think about great men of the Bible. I think about Daniel. I think about Joseph. I think about Moses. Let's just take these three men as an example. All three of them, in one way or another, were taken away from their people, from their families, from their place, their, their home. They were taken and put and placed into a strange land, a land that was foreign to them. For each of them, this was not their choice. This was a life that they were all forced into, Daniel, Joseph, and Moses. But if there's one thing that is obvious from the life of these men, that even though they were forced into this negative situation, this bad situation, God obviously had a big plan for them. They were tested, given opportunities to succeed by disobeying God. 
while living in a sinful state, they would not sin. Daniel kept praying, even though he was threatened with death. Joseph ran from Potiphar's wife, even though it meant prison. Moses gave up his royal rights, suffering with God's people, rather than enjoying sin for a season, as the Bible says. These men were tested and they were rewarded for their faithfulness to God while living in a sinful state. We too live in a land that is not ours. You say, what do you mean? Yes, we live in America, and yes, I love this country, and I'm sure you do too, and God has blessed America in every way. But as our country slips away from God, and as our country becomes more and more a sinful state, in a sinful state, what do we do? How do we live? How do we live in a sinful state? Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd help us to answer this question tonight from your word. Speak to our hearts. Lord, as I think about this verse, that righteousness exalteth the nation. And Lord, we believe that America was found on biblical principles. And I believe that you've blessed this country because of morality and because that we've sent missionaries and there's, there's righteousness that has been in this country. But Lord, we know, we know what's going on around us and it is becoming more and more a sinful state. Lord, teach us to live in this day like these men that we mentioned in the Bible, teach us to live and to please you, even in this day and age that we live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. To answer this question, I'm going to move away from the book of Proverbs, and I want to go to another part of the scriptures that I think are going to help us answer this question. So take your Bibles and go to 1 Peter chapter number 2. All right, so we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter number 2 together. I cheated. I have a bookmark here, so I flipped right to it, but I'll give you a second to get there. First Peter chapter number two. How do we live in a sinful state? And I know that might sound like we're living in a sinful state, but I mean a state like a, like the country or the region that we're in. How do we live in a place like that, that is sinful, that, that is, that, that is not pleasing to the Lord and those kinds of things. And so first Peter chapter number two, verse nine through 25, I believe gives us some instruction on how we can live in a sinful state. And so look at verse nine with me. Look at what it says of first Peter chapter two, but ye are a what? Chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Now this is talking about those that are Christians those that believe in the name of Christ, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath what? Called you out of darkness, called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light, verse 10, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, notice this, as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. I find in these verses, and, and a few later here, several keys to living in a sinful state, to living in a place that is unpleasing to God, and as our, the place where we live becomes more and more against God, I see three keys here on how we can please the Lord ourselves and in our family. So number one, number one is this. We are to be a peculiar people. 
a peculiar people. Look at verse 9. We're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. What does peculiar mean? Peculiar means to be exclusive property. Exclusive property. How many of you at home, uh, you have a soda or you have something in the refrigerator and you write your name on it. It is your, don't touch my, I remember when I first started dating my wife and in my family, in my family, we always had soda. It was like, it was like a staple. We would, we would always have soda in the house. We always had Dr. Pepper. Can I get an amen for some Dr. Pepper now? Now, I drink Diet Coke because when I drink Dr. Pepper, I get a headache automatically. But uh, when I was a kid, we would drink Dr. Pepper. I mean, I would slam four or five when my mom wasn't looking, right? I'd slam four or five Dr. Peppers a day or whatever it was. And, and, and it, was, it was no big deal. Uh, we always had plenty of it. It was, like, it was like water in our house. Then I met my wife, and I, and I, and I went, and, and of course, when, when, you, when you're starting to get married, your families are melding together, and there's differences, in my wife's family, they did not drink very much soda. And so when somebody would have a soda, they would write on the soda the name of the person it belonged to. And I remember being in their home, the, the Padillo household. You all know Brother Padillo. And uh, I remember being in their home the first couple of times. And of course, I'm trying to be polite. I'm trying to be on my best behavior. That didn't work. And so, uh, but I was in their house and I remember I opened up their fridge. I was looking for something to drink. And there it was. There was a soda sitting there right on the shelf. And I thought, oh, great, a nice cold soda. And I grabbed that soda and I'll never forget. I looked on the soda and there was a name written on there. I didn't think anything of it. I just thought, why is, why is there a name written on here? I don't remember. It might've been Joey's. It might've been Kevin's, but there was a name on there and I chugged that soda. And I tell you, uh, it was World War III in the Padillo house. Who drank my soda? Who drank? I don't remember who it was. And I just sat in the corner and I pretended like it wasn't me. And so, but you know now. So anyway, um, uh, you know, it's exclusive property. It belongs to the person in exclusion of others. That's what the word peculiar means. This word does not mean that Christians are supposed to be weirdos. That's not what it means. Some preachers I've heard preach that. We ought to be we, well, God, weird. That's not what it means. They don't preach that we're supposed to be weird, but what it means is that we're supposed to be particularly God's. We belong to God. Specifically, I belong to God. I don't belong to anybody else. I, I don't belong to this world. I, I don't belong to some company. I don't belong to anybody. I am God's. Sometimes my family and I go to the grocery store. And when you take four boys to the grocery store, it's like trying to gather ping pong balls in a bathtub. I mean, they're all over the place. And, and, and of course, we haven't been doing that lately because of the virus. But, but I remember we'd take the kids to a store. Once in a while, my older boys would venture off. You know what I'm talking about? And all of a sudden, we're like, where's so-and-so? And, and a lot of times, the kids would go around the corner of an aisle for whatever reason. And I would call out to them, son, son, where are you? Son, come back here. And many of you mothers, have you ever taken your kids into the mall and your kids would duck under those clothes racks? You'd take them into Ross and they would duck under those and then you'd have a little mini heart attack because you couldn't find them. They would duck under the clothes and you would yell, son, son, or daughter, where are you? Where are you? You'd yell their name. And so you'd yell their name. Now, I've never yelled for my son and another kid come around the corner and I just decided to take them home with me instead. 
Son, son, oh, you'll do. Come on, let's go. No, no, because they're not my child. They don't belong to me. Uh, it's not, it's not. My kids are particular. They're, they're peculiar to our family. They belong to me. No one else's kids will do. We must remember that we belong to God. I said, we belong to God. We are his kids. We're peculiar. We are God's. We belong to him. And so I hear Christians say one time, God doesn't care how I look. Oh, yes, he does. Because you belong to God. You ought to look like you belong to God. That doesn't mean you have to dress like every, it doesn't mean there's a specific standard that you need to follow according to my standard or someone else's standard. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying tonight, though, is you ought to look like you belong to God. When somebody looks at you, they ought to know that you belong to God. They definitely ought not to look at you and think they belong to something else, the devil, amen, or whatever. And, and there's a lot of things we could preach on there, but the, the point is tonight, as we live in this world, as we live in this place, as we live in this state of ours that we live in, how, how do we respond? We first respond by recognizing that I am peculiar. I belong to God. Christian, may I remind you who you belong to tonight? Now, looking one, one way is one thing, and, but having the attitude of a Christian is a whole nother ballgame. Oftentimes, I think that Christians get the wrong idea that they, at church, that's when you act like a Christian, but when we're out in the world, you can act however you want. That's not the way it's supposed to work. When we're at our job and when we're in the line and when we're frustrated uh, and when things aren't going our way and when we're, when we're uh, you know, uh, things are not happening the way that we think they should happen in a scenario, that's when we ought to be Christ. That's when we ought to be God's and act like his kids and be peculiar and recognize, help people to recognize uh, that I belong to someone else. When I was a kid growing up, I loved playing sports. Brother Cadiz, soccer was my game. I love soccer. For some of you, I just traded my man card in, but that's okay. I don't care. I'll, I'll play soccer. I love soccer. And I, I grew up playing it. And I know you can't tell that now, but uh, I did. I loved it. I loved it. But my parents had a rule. I wasn't allowed to play sports during church. It was a rule in my house. If you don't believe me, ask my mom and dad. But I remember many times begging Many times, you know, putting a guilt trip on my parents. My team needs me, mom. My team, no, they don't. You sit on the bench the whole time, you know. My team needs me. But my parents had a rule, and I got over that because I, I stopped asking at a certain point. You stop asking. <laughs> you don't play sports on Wednesday, not a practice. I never went to a practice. I never went to a game on a Wednesday night. I remember explaining to my teammates why I wasn't allowed, and they would be angry. What do you mean? My parents said, I can't do it. They said, I can't do it. And I would complain to my parents. And some of you kids that grew up in church, you know what your parents say. Here's what your parents always say when you grow up in church. Just tell your friends that I said you're not allowed to do it. Like that's supposed to help. Well, that's what I did. I remember telling my friends, my mom and dad, they won't let me do it. They won't let me do it. And there's a lot of things when I was growing up I wasn't allowed to do. Uh, my parents would not let me do because, and guess what? I didn't do them, not because I necessarily didn't want to, or not because I didn't have a desire to, or not because I really felt like I should, but because I belonged to my parents. And so I didn't do it because I belonged to them. I was peculiar to them. I belonged to them. There are some things in our life 
that we just shouldn't do. Well, why can't I? What's the big deal? What's the big deal about acting like a Christian? Being peculiar. We have the wrong attitude towards the whole thing. We want people to know that we belong to God. Do we not? Well, we should try to blend in. Okay, I'm not saying that we should walk around with a tinfoil hat on. All I'm saying is we want people to know that there's something different, something peculiar about me. I want people to know that, hey, if you want to know God, come talk to me because I know God and he's worth it. And if you come talk to me, I'll share the gospel with you. But you're not going to be able to do that if, if you're not peculiar. Nobody's going to listen to you. I'll never forget when I was in high school and uh, I was playing sports in high school and I was acting like a fool. All right, I'll say it, brother. That's I was acting the fool. And I'll never forget a young person looking at me. I don't remember who it was. I just remember what they said. They said, I thought you were a Christian. That changed my life because I realized I don't want to be like that. We belong to Christ. How do we live in this world? Just recognize who you belong to. Teenagers, listen, I remember being a teenager. I remember how important it was that my hair looked just right. And I remember I didn't want to look fat in that shirt. And I, I remember I wanted to be in style. And I remember, I, I remember those days as a teenager. I remember I wanted to look cool like everyone else. I didn't want to be different. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to fit in. And I understand all of that. But listen, you could still be peculiar. You can dress trendy, by the way, and be peculiar. And all God's people said, you don't have to look, you you, you can dress trendy and be peculiar. You can have a good attitude. You don't have to cuss and watch videos that you shouldn't watch. And you could actually want to go out and be a part of the outreach and have a good attitude and, and spend time with God. You don't have to look like a weirdo. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying tonight is you ought to be, you ought to be peculiar. I belong to Christ. That means if the Bible says something, I do it. Are you listening tonight? That means if the Bible says it's a shame for a man to have long hair, then I ought to cut my hair. Well, I like having long hair, but that's what the Bible says. I'm peculiar. If the Bible says that I should forgive my brother 70 times 7, then it doesn't matter what that brother does, I should forgive him. Why? Because I'm peculiar. That means that if uh, the Bible says I should love my wife as myself, it doesn't matter what she does. If I'm supposed to love my husband unconditionally, it doesn't matter what he does. I'm peculiar. I belong to God. That means if the world around us decides something is right that we know is wrong, that abortion is normal, it's the woman's choice, that homosexuality is normal, we as Christians, not hatefully, not, not, not in a mean spirit, but we must decide. I'm peculiar. I don't get to decide what I think is normal, what I think is sin what I think isn't sin, what I think is right, what I think is wrong. I don't get to decide that. God already decided that for me. When I put my faith and trust in Christ, when I put my faith and trust in Him, what, I, what I'm putting my faith and trust in is that I believe this Bible that He has given me, and I'm going to believe every word of it. I belong to Him. So in a sinful state, we are to be what, church? Peculiar. So in a sinful state, we ought to be what, church? Peculiar. We belong to Christ. Let me give you number two. Not only are we to be peculiar, but we are to be pilgrims passing through. Pilgrims passing through. Look at verse 10. Which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God. 
which have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as, what's the next two words? Strangers and pilgrims. Abstain from those fleshly lusts which war against the soul. What is a pilgrim? A pilgrim is a wanderer, a traveler. If you look it up in the dictionary, particularly one that travels to a distant, uh, to a distance from his own country. In scripture, we are called pilgrims because we are travelers. In other words, we don't belong to this planet. We don't belong to the earth. We are just, we sing the song, I'm just a passing through. That is how we are supposed to live. We are pilgrims and strangers. Oh, how we forget that. We're just pilgrims. How do we, how do we live in this world and please the Lord? We must remember that we don't belong here. Hebrews chapter number 11, verse 13. These, talking about Abel and Noah, Enoch and Abraham, if you read the chapter, all died in faith, verse 13, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them. They embraced them and confessed that they were, again, strangers and pilgrims on the earth. We get so upset. We get so worked up. We get so frustrated with the state of the world. I know I do. Let me say that again. We get so upset. We get so worked up. We get so frustrated with the state of the world. Like Lot, the scripture says, was vexed. He was vexed with the sinfulness of Sodom and Gomorrah. And yes, we do also get vexed with the deplorable condition of our country. But why do we allow our hearts to get so upset and frustrated about the world? Have you ever gone to visit somebody else's house? And you get there, and maybe you're going to stay for dinner. Maybe this has happened to you. And you're going to, you go inside the house, and you're going to eat dinner, and the house is filthy. Has that ever happened to you? You walk in the house, and it is just a disaster. You sit down on the couch, and you start looking around, and you're thinking, oh, my soul, I'm going to eat this food. And you start looking around, and there's dog hair all over the couch, and, and you see dishes piled up in the sink, and they're caked with food, and, and the trash is overflowing, and, and there's stains on the walls. And, and you, you know, you're sitting there, and you're thinking, I, I don't want, I don't know about you, but when I eat somewhere, I want it to be clean, and the cleaner the better. And all God's people said, amen. And you ever go to somebody's house, and you're sitting there, and you see the clutter, you see the mess, and instinctively, what do you want to do? Run? No. You want to get up and start cleaning. That's my instinct. Excuse me, can you go get me your vacuum cleaner, please? And can you get me a dust buster? And we're going to need some Lysol. You know, we, 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 sometimes instinctively we want to get up and we want to clean and we want to, we want to, but you know what? We don't do that. We don't clean somebody else's house, not just because it's rude. It is rude, but we don't clean somebody else's house because it's not our house. It's not my house. May I say? that we live in a world that's not our house. I'm going to say something, and actually, when I wrote it, it kind of shocked me that I actually wrote this down, and I feel weird saying it, but it's the truth. If you look at Scripture, I believe this is a true statement. It's not my job to clean up the sin of the world. This world is not my house. It's not my job to clean up the sin in my neighbor or my town or my state or my country. It's not my house. 
I want you to think about this for a moment. If it was your job to clean up the sin of the world, how would you do that anyway? Let's not forget that Jesus Christ came to the earth. He had to come to die on the cross because he's the only one that's sinless. When he came and died on the cross, he paid for the sin of the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, he died on the cross for the sin, and he paid for the sin of the whole world. You see, it's not my job to clean up the sin of my country. It's not my job to, to do anything about the sin of my neighbor. Sometimes we hear 2 Chronicles chapter number 714 preach. It's a very powerful verse, and you know it. And here's what it says. Listen carefully. If my people, which are called by my name. Now, this, of course, was written to the children of Israel. It wasn't written necessarily to us, but for our example, we are the people of God. So we could apply this to us. If my people, we as the people of God, which are called by my name, shall humble who? Themselves. And pray and seek my face and turn from what? Their wicked ways. Their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive whose sin? Their sin. And will heal whose land? Their land. Sometimes we hear preachers preach a message on this. And I hear preachers say, and I think I might have even said this, that Christians are the problem. We are the problem. And, and yes, that's true. We have a sin problem and we need to be right with God. But we're not the ones who, who are, who are making our, our state that we live in sinful. We're not the ones that are perpetrating abortion. We're not the ones that are perpetrating homosexuality. We put it on ourselves like it's our fault, like it's something that we did. And it's not. The world is always going to have sin. Sin is always going to be present until Jesus Christ comes to return, uh, to rule and to reign. Sin is going to overcome this world. God does not ask us to clean up the sin in our neighborhood. What God asks us to do and what he wants us to do is to clean our own house, my house, my heart. That's my job is to keep my heart clean. Remember Daniel? Remember Joseph? Remember Moses? God wanted them in the place where they were, to concentrate on his people. And listen, Christians, tonight, we can't do anything about other than vote and those things that we're supposed to do. Well, I can't do anything about my neighbor's sin, but I can clean up my own heart, and I can serve my God the way that I'm supposed to serve my God. But the problem is, is Christians, they act more like Lysol than the light of the world. And Christians are not Lysol. We are light. I cannot stop my neighbor from sinning. I can lead him to Christ and help him have his sins forgiven. And all God's people said, amen. amen. We're pilgrims. Listen, we are pilgrims. We're just passing through. This world is not my home. I don't belong here. This is not my mess to clean up. I'm just a pilgrim. God told the nation of Israel, listen, I want my people, which are called by my name, to humble themselves. Then will I hear from heaven and I will heal their land. The nation of Israel, when they humbled themselves and they repented, God didn't heal the heathen around them. He healed Israel. Christians, our only responsibility is to keep our hearts clean before God. Now, let me say that again. Our only responsibility is to keep our hearts clean before God. That's our responsibility. I think about Joseph. Think about what he said when Potiphar's wife tried to get Joseph to sin. What did Joseph say? How can what? How can I? 
How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph didn't blame Potiphar's wife. He didn't blame the culture in Egypt. He kept his house clean. Look at verse 12 of our chapter, 1 Peter chapter 2. Having your conversation, what's the next word? Honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, uh, they may by your what? Good works, which they behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. See, what happens is when we stop trying to fix everybody else and fix everybody else's problem and we concentrate on our house, guess what? We become a bright light for Jesus Christ. And when your neighbor looks at you and sees you going to church, Brother Asprey, and when your neighbor uh, uh, sees you, sees us out knocking on doors, inviting people to church and running buses, and when the neighborhood, uh, when our neighbors look at us and they see that we're keeping our house clean, then we become a light for Jesus Christ. Because if we capitulate to the world and we become sinful just like the world, we act just like the world, we lose our testimony. Our country every day, if you hadn't noticed, is sinking further from God. I hate to break this to you. I don't mean to be, uh, I believe that God can still do a revival and God does a revival in the heart of his people. And then the heart of this people are revived. They become greater lights for Jesus Christ. And then the lost see God's people and their light shining bright and they can get saved. But we, we do believe that God can uh, certainly do revival. But may I just say, and I hate to break this to you, we're not going to fix the world. The world is heading towards Armageddon as we've been studying on Sunday nights. First, Peter chapter 2 uh, verse 9 says we are a chosen generation a royal priesthood a holy nation a peculiar people that we should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of the darkness we can't we can't do anything about the darkness he's called us out of that and so what are we supposed to do with that we let our light shine we let it shine I love that song this little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine this little light of mine I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan spit out. I'm going to let it shine. Amen? What happens when we let our light shine? Our lights attract those that are in the dark. I love fishing. I just wanted to say that. No, I'm just kidding. I love fishing. And uh, the other day I was out with Brother Gonzalez. We were fishing on the river, and, uh, and he was catching everything. I was getting skunked. You know, that's usually how it works. And uh, he's having a good time over there catching. I'm just kidding. We both caught fish. And I had one of those headlamps. And we're out in the dark. And I put on the headlamp. And all of a sudden, my head became bug central. I had this headlamp on. And bugs were just flying in my mouth and around my face. Why? Because in the dark, they see that little bit of a light. They come toward it. Listen, when we let our lights so shine, it encourages those that are in the dark to move towards the light. What happens when we let our light shine? Our light shows the way. It doesn't show what is in the darkness. Light guides people from the darkness. Our light illuminates the truth. You don't need to convince somebody that they're in the dark. Just keep shining your light so they can find the way. You see, light removes darkness. It removes fear. Light removes and reveals sin and illuminates the Savior. Light brings life. Oh, Christians, how do we live in this sinful state? Remember, we're peculiar and we're just pilgrims. Keep shining your light. Keep shining your light. What does that look like for you? What does shining your light look like for you? It might be, it might be that you check on your neighbors and tell them you're praying for them. 
It might be a co-worker who's going through something, you offer to pray for them. It might be somebody you give the gospel to. It might be in the youth group, a teenager stands up for Christ and says, I'm not going to do that. I want to be a light. How does your light shine? Lastly tonight, number three, how do we live in this sinful state? We are to be patiently peaceful. Patiently peaceful. Look at verse 13 of our chapter. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether it be to the king as supreme or to governors as unto them that are sent by him for punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do, do well. Look at verse 15. For so it is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be subject to your own masters with all fear, not only be uh, to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Look at verse 19. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience towards God endure grief. Now notice this. A man in, for his conscience toward God. Notice this. Well, we don't like this. Nobody, nobody likes this. Endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if, when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto you were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps who do no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. And by the way, he could have but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep gone astray, going astray, but now you're returned to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. I guess I missed the part of these verses that said we should throw a fit and riot when we don't get our way. I guess I missed the part where we're supposed to be anarchists and go against the government. I guess I missed the part where we're supposed to tell everyone else how they're supposed to do things and how we're right and they're wrong. I guess I missed all of that. Take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter number 12. I want to show you one more verse that Paul says here, Romans chapter number 12. Look at verse 18. The Bible says, if it be what? Possible. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live what? peaceably with all men. If it's, if it's possible, if there's any possibility at all, if, if there's any way possible, live peaceably, live peaceably with all men. Now I understand, listen, as a caveat here, when the government infringes on its own laws, such as, as religious freedom as we're dealing with now, or when a law of man prohibits obeying God's law, then we shouldn't do that. We should obey God rather than man. We should obey God rather than man. That's it. God tells us, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. It's not the state's duty to tell churches not to meet. Man, uh, man does not have that right. Only God does. But in everything else, it is our duty to live as peaceably as we can with the people that we agree with. Just kidding. I mean, I'm sorry. We should live as peaceably as we can with the people that we like. I'm sorry. We should live peaceably as we can with the people that think the way that we think. No, that's not what it says. It says we should live as peaceably as we can with all men. 
We're not called to fix the problems of the world. God can handle that himself. We're called to bring the light of the gospel to people that do not know Jesus Christ. That is our calling. Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalted the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. We live in a sinful state today. And the truth is, mankind is not getting any better. The world hates God. I hope you know that tonight. The world hates God. Jesus told us that. They hated you because they hated me. Christians in America were enjoying a few hundred years of peace and comfort, but there's coming a day when the world's hatred for Christ will be manifested against the Christian in this country. What do we do then? What do we do when our country becomes like China? When our country becomes like Yemen? When our country becomes like the Sudan? When our country becomes like Turkey? When our country becomes like a country where Jesus Christ, uh, the followers of Christ are being persecuted, how would we live in that state? How would we do How would we be able to, uh, to exist then? We must remember that we're peculiar. We belong to God. He's our heavenly father. Just keep listening to his voice. Just remember we're pilgrims passing through. We don't belong here. Let's not put down roots so deep. We don't belong here. We don't need to clean up this house. Keep our own house clean. Keep shining our lights. We need to remember to be peacefully patient as much as lieth in us. I'm going to close with a scripture. Would you go to Revelation chapter 21? Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to read the scripture and then I'm going to pray. How do we live in a sinful state? And I chose this message because I read this verse where it said, uh, righteousness exalted the nation, but sin is a reproach. And I look around me today and I see a lot of reproach. So what do we do about that? Look at Revelation 21, look at verse 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. I just want to pause right there and remind us that there's coming a day when God and men are going to dwell together. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, no crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give unto him that is a thirst, the fountain of water of life, freely. May I just remind you today, as we live in this sinful state, that will not always be that way. There's coming a day where we're going to get home. We're going to get to where we belong. And so while we're here, let's be peacefully patient as we wait for Christ to return. Let's pray.